And amen. Hallelujah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Y'all better be in here this morning. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, that worship this morning, oh my goodness. You hear the angels of the Lord just worshiping with us, amen? And if you're not excited about worship, maybe we can get you excited. Hallelujah, because praise and worship, I said before, God loves a pep rally. See, if y'all didn't laugh, y'all don't know what a pep rally is. That pep, I'm talking, if somebody's from down south, you know what a pep rally is. We have the battle of the bands. We have the showcase of everybody out there just rooting on. And we come here to give God a pep rally. We want to root the Lord on. Amen. And if you don't believe that God loves a pep rally, just go ask Jehoshaphat. Ask him about the pep rally that went before him when all those kings were coming up against him. They had a pep rally. That's what happened. They sent the minstrels first and began to praise the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden, these ambushments came against their enemy, and they were victorious. God loves a pep rally. I'm telling you, something happens on the inside of you when you're down and out, right? Anybody had a rough week this week? Then get in your car and start your own pep rally. Start telling the Lord how good he is. And I'm telling you, the atmosphere will change. Oh, I know it's good. Amen. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Well, my name is Sadron Smith, and I'm here to just encourage you this morning. I want you to smile. If you're not encouraged, I promise you, you will leave the encouraged. I'm telling you, the word of the Lord has already come forth in song and in, and just praising him. I don't have to say anything. All we got to do is remember what he said. He won't fail us. Man, I can put that in my spirit and run for this whole week and then come back and get charged up again. Amen. My name is Sidron Smith, and I've been with this house for a long time. And I'm enjoying myself today. And my wife is here. She got a little Hispanic in her, so it's been some fire with us. I tell you, good fire and some, some fire, you know. Y'all understand? Chili hot peppers, you know what I'm saying? Some fire, amen. Well, I'm just so thankful to be here before you. I thank our pastors for allowing me the opportunity to come up here once again, amen. I'm just excited, y'all. But I do have a word from the Lord this morning. Amen. I got one person that want to hear it, Amen. <laughs> oh boy, don't make me up here. Ah. Amen. Amen. Let's hear it. The doc has spoken. He said, let's hear it. Amen. I want to begin by saying, you know, there's a, a new movie that came out called Creed 3. Any boxing fans in the house? I see them. They all over the place. Now I had never seen one and two, and here they are with a three. So I had to go back and look at one. And when I went back and looked at one, there was one scene in this movie that just, it almost made me cry. And I don't do that often. If I cry, it's it's significant, I tell you what. But it almost made me cry. There was a scene at the end of the movie. And if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you anyway. Just go back and watch. It's been out for years, all right? It's called Creed (laughs) 1, or Creed. And at the end of the movie, he gets into this ring with one of the champions, and he's getting ready to fight the champion, 
And they don't think that he needs to be there because the only reason he's there is because of his last name, Creed. And it goes back to those Rocky films. How many did they have? Like 30 of them? <laughs> Rocky 30 or whatever. <laughs> and it goes back to those Rocky films, but his last name was Johnson, but his dad's name was Creed. And he gets in the ring. And while he's in the ring, he goes 11 rounds. And I'm telling you, this champion has beat him down. I mean, his face got all kind of contusions on it. His eye is swollen. And Rocky is saying, I need to throw in the towel. If you know anything about boxing, when you throw in the towel, the fight is over. It's done. Have y'all ever had that, that rag you getting ready to throw it in because I'm done? I'm done fighting. I've been beat up so bad. But he said, his name is Adonis, and he said, don't throw in the towel. Please don't throw in the towel. And Rocky begins to say, why not? You've already proved that you deserve to be here. You've already proved that you are amongst the boxing champions and you deserve to be in this ring. You've already done it. He said, no, I need to prove. I need to prove. You need to prove what? You went 11 rounds getting ready to go into the 12th round with the champion. What else do you need to prove? And he said, I need to prove that I'm not a mistake. And he whimpered and something gra grabbed my heart. I told this to our life group and I almost cried, and Chris was like, you? I said, yeah, me, man. I almost cried because he said, I'm not a mistake. I, I, I want to make sure and I want to prove to the world that I'm not a mistake. And in my spirit, I was like, how many people are we around who think that you are a mistake? The word of the Lord this morning is you're not a mistake. You're not a mistake. I know somebody need to hear that this morning because we're walking around trying to prove ourselves to the world. We're not a mistake. We deserve to be here. And I'm going to try to be as light as I can with this. But when there's intimacy with parents, all right, there's 500 million cells trying to reach this egg. 500 million. One makes it. And then there's a child. I don't care if you came into this world blind I don't care if you came in this world where you can't hear or fully functional. You made it victoriously through out of 500 million. You can praise the Lord for that. You made it victorious. You can already come through and say, I'm already a champion. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Now, my brother, since I'm a twin, he said, you came in a tie. He said, I wanted to race all out. You came in a tie. I said, all right. I still made it through. I'm still a champion. Amen. You are not a mistake. What you have to realize is that if God had a computer, he don't have a delete button. If God had a computer, there's no backspace because God does not make mistakes. He don't have an eraser on his pencil. He don't make mistakes. Now, your parents may not have known you was coming. But God knew you were coming. The problem is getting in line with the enemy's voice that tells you that you're a mistake. Don't line yourself up with the enemy. I know this is right because in our world today is dark. It's dismal. Everybody's trying to judge themselves amongst themselves and race the race that's not even given to them. You are not a mistake. You tell that enemy, before I was formed in my mother's womb, God knew me. You tell that enemy that I'm above only and not beneath. I'm blessed going in, blessed coming out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, because I deserve to be here. I don't have to prove anything. God has allowed me to come through the matrix. Therefore, I'm victorious. 
Somebody can shout amen about that. I'm victorious. I have my own pep rally up here. I tell you. My wife would tell you and my children, they'd be like, Dad, why are you singing and dancing around the house? Making up songs. I got one daughter, she she come in there and make up the song with me. She adding words and stuff that ain't even there. I was like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get a pep rally. You know, my daughter came to me and was like, Dad, God don't answer prayers. I said, why you say that, sweetheart? She said, because I prayed and God didn't answer. I said, well, what you pray? What did you pray that God didn't answer? She said, I prayed for a baby sister. I said, oh, whoa. <laughs> I said, God answered that prayer. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> I said, God answered that prayer. He said, no. She said, oh. I said, yeah. He said, no. <sighs> God answers prayers, amen. <laughs> Ain't that right, babe? No. <laughs> you better say that. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Amen. We have five children. I have my oldest daughter here and her husband. Amen. I'm not going to talk about you today, sweetheart. <laughs> you know, pastors and anyone who gets up here and preach, they always have a story to tell about their children because their children put us through some things sometimes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But, yeah. Jeff said something this morning about reset, and I had mentioned it, but I feel like we need to just kind of come in here and reset from our past week. And if you don't understand what that means is this, there are, in the, in the electronic world, in the electronic world, they're always pushing these packets and these downloads to you. They're always doing that. But if you don't unplug or turn off your electronic device, those packets and those downloads won't upload. What do I mean? Anytime you call that person, that technician, the first thing that they tell you, and Jeff said this, he said, for 30 years, I've been doing the same thing for troubleshooting. Unplug it. Turn it off. Shut it down. Right? And they used to tell me to unplug it for eight seconds. They say, unplug it, count to eight, and plug it back in. What am I talking about? When you unplug it for eight seconds, the number eight is new beginnings. I'm just going to say it right there. The number eight is new beginnings. So when you plug it back in, now we have the opportunity for some downloads to start activating. When we unplug from last week, what we went through, and we totally aim and focus in on God, now when you plug back into the world, some downloads are activating on the inside of us now. Now God's word can take root and produce a hundredfold in our lives because we have unplugged and reset to go on. So I'm asking us to unplug this morning so that we can reset for this week. Amen. Amen. There are times that we come in here week after week and we've been filled with the word and the seed of the word is going down, it's going down, it's going down. But when will it produce, Lord? Sometimes we have to be like Jesus and go up to the mountains or go walk on you some water. Get away from some people is all I'm trying to say. Reset when you come in here because when we worship and when we praise, that's what we're doing. We're resetting our lives and say we don't care about the cares of this world because God has our back and he won't fail us. Amen? Well, this morning I'm here to encourage us and to move forward with these beatitudes and everything that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. As we were in table group, we were talking, we were kind of rehearsing what was going on. And 
Pastor Jade had mentioned about loving your enemies. Now, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. I have to love someone that don't love me. I have to do good to those that persecute me, talk about me, ostracize me, kicks me out of their circles, talk about me behind closed doors. You mean I have to love someone like this? And incidentally, Chris Lockett said something, and I'm going to only reference him one time. If I say it again, this is how it goes. I'm a plagiarizer. (laughs) Sometimes I don't cite my work. (laughs) I just speak it out. You understand what I'm saying? He said it the first time. Chris Lockett said it. The second time, I heard of a saying. The third time, like I always say, that's how it's going to go. Amen. (laughs) But we were talking about being salt and light. And he said, salt, when you put it on food, is invisible. But what it does is it enhances the flavors of what you put it on. I said, man, that'll preach right there. Salt is invisible, but it enhances the flavor. We're called to be salt and light. All right? And then Aaron Gale, he said something about salt is also used to be a preservative. What it does is it keeps the harmful bacteria of water from taking root and rottening out that meat or whatever you're preserving. And God showed me this. He said, what if I'm salt and light? If I get to someone and all of a sudden the ill bacteria start coming out of them through the word of God. And now all of a sudden their flavor, you can taste and see that the Lord is good, but their flavor changes. Now the flavor of who they are changes because I'm not afraid to be in their space as salt and as light. Now I can love my enemy because I know that there's a great exchange taking place here. I know that God is on the inside of me, shining forth on the outside of me. Can y'all hear truth coming around the corner? Don't be afraid to love your enemies because God's got your back, amen? Amen. And he won't fail. But we get to this point in in Matthew chapter 6, and this is our opening scripture here. Matthew chapter 6. Let me just get to my notes. Is this all right so far? Amen, amen, amen. Verse 19 is where we'll start. And this seems almost just out of place on how Jesus began to say this. He's starting verse 16. He's talking about fasting. And when you fast and pray, don't do it like the heathens do, showing your face all disfigured. He said, anoint your face and go out and be like, like any other time. But then he says in verse 19, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth do rust nor destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. This almost seems like, okay, you're talking about fasting, now you're talking about laying up treasures. What, what made Jesus say this? Where did this come from? Turn to Luke. And I know y'all have it on the screen, but I still like to... Turn and see it. You always see me cheating in here. Turn in Luke. And in the book of Luke, chapter 12, <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, this is what happened to make Jesus even go down this road about laying up your treasures. It says, well, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Then he said, man, who made me judge over you and arbitrary over you? And he said, take heed that you beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. And then he goes on to talk about laying up your treasures in heaven. Somebody in the crowd, he, Jesus said, okay, this is an opportunity for me to share with you that you're placing too much attention on what you have in your substances and not putting enough attention on what I'm teaching. How many times do we care about what we have in our bank accounts? We're trying to build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up. But we are not caring about what the word is saying to us. That God is our righteousness. He can provide for us. He can keep us. And I believe that this parable speaks to it all right here. It's the parable. They call him the rich young fool. (laughs) I don't want to be called a fool. Amen. And it's verse 16. And then he spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, this guy talking to himself. (laughs) I will say to my soul, he's in love with himself. (laughs) I will say to my soul, soul. See, I told you, talking to yourself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up in, for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will requ- be required of you. And then whose things, will the, would, whose things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. Here we have a farmer and his crops yielded plenty. His mind was not, I will give some here and I will give some there. His mind was, I'm going to store it all up. I'm going to keep it for myself. How selfish can we be? His mind was like, God, what do you want me to do with this excess that you have given unto me? But his mind was like, I'm just going to store it all up. And me and my soul, we're going to have a party every night. That's not what God is wanting us to do with our riches. That's how you lay up riches for yourselves. He was going to tear down his barns and build big ones just so he can hoard it all up for himself. That old saying is, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the top and let the rest rot. That's sad. That's sad when we don't even think about those that are around us. I'm sure they had plenty of people around them that could have used some of his excess. God wouldn't say give all of it away. He was saying this is your excess. He didn't have room enough to store it. Laying up treasures. Don't be stingy with your treasures. That's ties off right there. Don't be stingy with your giving. His soul was in control. His soul was puffed up. All he can think about is us four and no more. What a sad state for us to be in when we only think about ourselves. But God is saying, you can take your eyes off of yourself because I got your back. I won't fail you. I can provide for you. Laying up your treasures in heaven. What does that mean? 
laying up to, to hold and to gather. Your treasure is a place of storage. What are you holding? What are you gathering? What are you storing up? And he said, don't do it here just on this earth. Because thieves, they, they, they got ways of coming into your storehouse. They got ways of breaking in and stealing what's yours. Uh-huh. In today's vernacular, we call it what? Credit fraud. Right? Where well, they can get into your bank accounts by just asking you some questions. You can't trust in your money that you have here. Yeah. It may fail. Are y'all in here? <laughs> y'all should see y'all faces. Oh, my Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Storing up your treasures in heaven. But God is telling us, don't be concerned with your life. The very next scripture is here in Matthew 6 and verse 25. It says, therefore, I say, don't worry about your life. Too many times we go to work and we're worried about how much we're going to make. Are we going to make the deadlines? Are we going to be able to eat this week? Don't worry or be concerned with your life. It says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body or what you will put on. For is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You're more than that. You're more than what you eat. God knows what you need. He's asking for us to lay up treasures in, number one, being in faith and just believing him at his word. Mm -hmm. Number two, I like to say, always be on assignment. Always be on assignment, seeking the Lord as to what he's telling you to do. Always be on assignment. What do I mean? I was in the military for 23 years. I will tell my story because it's mine. Amen. 23 years in the Army. Anytime they sent me to another duty station or another location, they had to pay for it. But I was on assignment with the military. They had to fund it. How much more God will fund you if you're on assignment? If we'll seek the face of the Lord and just stay on assignment, how much more will he fund you? You don't have to worry about anything. He did it to the disciples. He sent them out. He blessed them. He said, hey, you will go and heal the sick. Go in the cities and heal the sick. Raise the dead. Pray for the lame. Go in the city and do it. But don't take anything with you. This is in Luke chapter, uh, I believe chapter 6. Don't take anything with you. And then he comes back in Luke chapter 22 and he say, hey, when I sent you out, did you need anything? Were you suffering for anything? Were you able to eat? They said we needed nothing. That means God will take care of you as long as you stay on assignment. Now, what is your assignment? You got to go ask God for that. You got to ask the Lord for that. If you stay on assignment, just like the first, the natural, then the spiritual. The military had to pay for me. They had to relocate me. They had to send in some strong people to move that stuff out of my house and relocate me to the next house. They had to pay for it. If God has you on assignment, he has your back. If you're under the canopy of his protection, he has your back. If you ask him, he'll give you whatever you need. He'll answer your prayers. Amen? Amen. Reading a little further, he said, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Birds just flying around looking for the food, man. <laughs> they just flying around. If God is after the, if he feeds the birds, how much more are you? You have to get that inside of us. We are not mistakes. 
God will take care of us. He will clothe us. He will feed us. I'm asking you to just trust him. Take a stance and say, you know what? I'm going to trust you. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to trust you. Thank you, sir. I got one amen. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Which of you by worrying? Now, this is the part that I want to get to here. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Neither do they toil. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith, worrying to worry, to be anxious of mind? You know, this is one of the curses that they had in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. You know, we read all the good stuff in the beginning. But this is like the Gentiles, and he tells us not to be like the world. When we in God, we don't have to worry. Worry is a state of you rolling it over in your mind over and over and over and over and over. And it just plagues you, and it just continues to be there. You go away, you do something, and you come back to it. It's worrying. And then you're anxious of mind. Am I going to eat? Am I going to have this? Am I going to be able to pay this bill? God don't want us in that state. Now, I tell you a time that I was worried. I was very worried. But God showed something to me, and I believe that this principle will work for us. Amen. God knows how to take care of us. Paul says, but my God and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Matthew 6 and 32 said, for after these things the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly father knows what you need. Abraham called him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. He always has a ram in the bush. Amen. (laughs) But the thing is this, God is our righteousness. Like I said, I was in the military and I always tell this story about um, I, I went. There was a rumor that was spread in my unit. And I, I spreaded it. <laughs> it was me. I'll just go ahead and let you know early. So in 2000, <laughs> I was in Fort Hood, Texas. In 2003, uh, First Cav had came upon alert. And everybody was praying, we don't want to go to war. We don't want to go to war. And they said, First Cav, you can power down. You're not going. And everybody was shouting in the church, and everybody had been praying, and it was all good. But 2004, that day came again, and they said, well, you're going this time. And I'm like, man. So what happens is, you know, we don't get a lot of information like everybody thinks. Sometimes we got to look at CNN or Fox News, and they tell us our information. And let me tell you, that's not a good place to go to look. I mean, it's all bad. Everything bad happening around here. I'm like, Lord Jesus. So I'm looking at Fox News, and they have reports of these white vans, and they're getting in, in between convoys, and they're blowing up and all this stuff, and all this is coming. I'm like, man, we're about to go to war. And then our beloved battalion commander and sergeant major decides it's a good idea. 
for our troops in our particular battalion to go and watch a movie called We Were Soldiers. We dead for sure. <laughs> Nobody lived but Mel Gibson in this our major. I mean, what? What's going on here? We were so that wasn't inspiring to me. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, boy, I don't know if I should even tell you. I'll direct you there. Everybody died on the battlefield. And I'm like, man, how they showing us this? What's going on? Do you want me to die? I mean, what's happening? So I, I begin to get my soldiers together, and I say, you know, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord what, what's going to happen. And I came back to him. I say, the Lord said that we are not going to die. Now, this was a bold declaration in the midst of war. We are not going to die. They start spreading that news. Sergeant Smith said, we're not going to die. Wait a minute. <laughs> this, this is supposed to be just for us. You didn't put it out. So the word gets back to my battalion commander, my first sergeant. And they bring me in on the red carpet. Sergeant Smith, we need to see you right now. Oh, Lord, what did I do? What did I do? And they brought me in, and they say, I commend you. Don't tell anybody that they are not going to die. I said, Sergeant Major, you know, with all due respect, I, I, I received it from the Lord. I believe that nobody in our battalion is going to die. You can't say that. If you say that, we're going to bust you down. You're not going to be promoted, so on and so forth. I mean, it just came down heavy. And then, all of a sudden, they send me on something called Torch Party. And I'm like, you got people volunteering to go on this torch party, but you single me out. I believe that that was a backroom conversation. Oh, if he ain't going to die, then let's put him out front. If he's not going to die, let's send him over there early, right? That happens. There are other conversations in other rooms that you're not in. But not only that, I went over there. We were in Kuwait for about a month or so, just taking stuff off the trains that would come in. And then... We're getting ready to, to go, and I'm in charge of the, the fuelers, okay? These are the people that drive the gasoline trucks and the diesel trucks. And my soldier has not only shared with me that she was afraid, but she went above me to my chain of command and said, I'm afraid. Chain of command was like, oh, yeah, this is a good time right here. Sergeant Smith, you're going to drive this gasoline truck from Kuwait to Iraq, now, if you don't know the flashpoint of gasoline, all you got to do is sneeze, and it probably just combust on you. I mean, negative 49 degrees Fahrenheit. So we had gasoline, and we had diesel, which the flashpoint is 125 degrees Fahrenheit. You can almost throw a match in there, and it won't explode. And they put me in this 1,000-gallon gasoline truck to drive from Kuwait to Iraq. Yeah, we're going to see who ain't going to die now, right? That's the backroom conversations. I know now because some of them have shared with me what was going on back there. Oh, you, you, you say the Lord ain't, okay, we're going to put him in the most volatile <laughs> truck we have, and we're going to see how it goes. As a matter of fact, the first time was like, look, if we get into a firefight, you drive away. I'm like, that's not the tactical training that I've learned. They say that goes out the book. I said, go where? I've never been to Iraq before. I don't know what roads they have. What's going on here? Y'all talking about just drop, you talking about being worried and scared? All you got to do is just look at that thing and it'll come. I got a thousand gallons of this stuff in here. And they say, you just drive away. I'm like, drive away where first? I don't care. Just get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm like, what the world, man? Come on. First of all, I haven't been trained to drive this vehicle. I don't care. You're so just scared you'll drive it. Now, they will pack these vehicles with, I'm just giving you a picture. Is this all right? We had to drive on sandbags. Have you ever drove on something that's just hard, no cushion? You know how I many times your leg fall asleep? Them little prickly things in your feet that go and then they come back and they just keep doing that over and over and over. This was not good. And then the news of CNN was like they're white vans. So we drive at the middle of night. When, we, when the light comes up and people get on the road, guess what? Every van out there is white. I'm like, man, that's all the vans they have is white vans in Iraq. I mean, you don't have no black ones. It's just all white. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're talking about fear creeping in. But what they did not know, and this is what I want to get to, is that when I got saved in 1995, the church that I went to, every service, they will recite the 91st Psalms. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come near me. Only with mine eyes shall I behold and see the reward of the wicked because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'm telling you, Psalms 91, what they did not understand was that Yes, I was saved, and we will rehearse this. But maybe the seed went in, but it didn't get down. But that's all right. We kept saying it. And all of a sudden, the seed got in, and it came up, but the, 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 the fowls of the air will eat the seed, but first it will be scorched because there was no depth to it. Are y'all hearing the parable of the sower? Maybe the seed got in, got down, but when it came up, it was scorched. I didn't have any depth, but that's all right. We just kept... Speaking the word, kept pronouncing the word, kept going over with Psalms 91. The seed got in, it got down, it came up, but it maybe it got choked by the cares of the world. But I'm here to tell you, if you keep putting the seed of the word of God in, I don't care if you keep speaking it over your husband, over your wife, over your wayward children, it's going to get in, it's going to get down, and it's going to produce a hundredfold. They didn't know for the last nine years I have been reciting Psalms 91. They didn't understand that that seed was already on the inside and it just came out because a thousand fell at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it did not come near us. When we went out there on that road, we didn't have one firefight. We had over a thousand vehicles on this road, easy targets, not one firefight. As a, as a matter of fact, I reached out to my troops and I asked them a question. Do you remember anything that happened? There was a time that one, I had two troops and... We had to go fix some air conditioners, and I had to leave one at one place and take the other one to the TMC. When I, when I left, the sirens went off. You know, sirens always go off, and you always hear these mortar rounds coming in, and we had to seek shelter. Excuse me. I ended up taking her to the TMC, and when we came back, she was at the TMC. I had to go check on my troop, and when I checked on my troop, he's standing outside. He got the cigarette in his hand. He can't, he can't put it in his mouth. He, he's shaking so much. It, 
I like, man, get this, just put it in your mouth, man. What, what's going on here, you know? <laughs> and he said, he said, don't ever leave me again. I said, what, what, what's going on? I'm laughing. I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? He said, don't ever leave me again. He said, look up. I looked up and the ceiling has holes in it all over. He said, look at that table and the table's in the corner. And the table, if this is the table, this corner right here is against the wall. And this corner hadn't been touched, but all that was peppered. The mortar round had actually come in on his location. And he was able to take refuge under the table. But he didn't come near him. It didn't touch him. He said, Son Smith, you must be right. We ain't going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you must be right. We ain't going to die. And then I began to have a Bible study on Psalms 91. Begin to teach Psalms 91 to my troops. And they begin to come out and learn Psalms 91. There was another instance that came in. They was driving down the road. They saw the mortar round coming in. It bounced on one side, bounced on the other side, did not explode. You must be right. During that year, we lost one troop. And the reason we lost that troop was because she took her own life. But nobody else was lost. The word of the Lord produced. Psalms 91. It produced. But what would cause us to be of an anxious mind? What would cause us to be in fear? And I believe it's verse 13 in the Psalms 91. And we're going to come to the table after this. But I believe it's 13 in verse Psalms 91. And it says, Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. I believe these are three types of fear. The lion's fear, the fear of what you hear. When you research the lion, it says that they have echo chambers in their voice. So when they roar out loud, you don't know where they are. This caused the impala to just freeze. It's the fear of what you hear. They're dying over here. They're doing this. There's a recession coming. The fear of what you hear, it causes you to be paralyzed and not move forward. It's the lion's fear. The lion's fear. When the, the Bible says that the enemy walks around as a what? Roaring lion. He's not one, but he walks around one. Seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom is going to be paralyzed with fear. Seeking whom is going to take on his words and speak the same words out in the atmosphere of the enemy. That's the lion's fear. The next one, it says, you should tread upon the lion and the adder or the cobra or the snake. This is the fear. And I'm telling you, you can preach messages upon messages on this. But this is the fear of what you see. We walk by faith and not by. Somebody know the scriptures. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's the fear of what you see. Remember Moses? <laughs> he had that, that stab. He cast it down. It turned to a snake, and that joker took off running. He was like, I'm out of here. It's the, the snake is so sly. The snake is so cunning. And so it, 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 it's, it's, just, it's just quiet. I remember I was right, running over there at Pulpit Rock, I think it was. And I ran and I jumped. And you can feel the snake, but you won't see him. But when you see him, it's like, whoa. It's that sudden fear. Don't be given to sudden fear. When you see it happening, don't be given to just that sudden fear. Don't, don't allow your heart to just all of a sudden be weak and, and be paralyzed with that sudden fear. 
I jumped over that, that serpent. I was like, man, that was something there. I looked back, and there he was, curled up against the wall. I said, whoa. Don't be given to that sudden fear. The next one is the lion and the dragon. See, this lion and the dragon, it says the young lion and the dragon. I was like, why does it say the young? It's the whispers in the night. It's the young roars. It's the, it's the small roars of the young lion. It's the whispers in the night. It's when you're by yourself and you, you haven't turned your mind off from the day. Don't be given to those whispers. When you start hearing things, start speaking it out of your mouth, hear the word of the Lord. But it says the young lion and the dragon because when you hear these whispers, it turns into a figment of your imagination. Things not even real. Don't be given to somebody else's fear. Did you hear what happened to such and such? Did you hear what happened to such? I'm afraid that it's going to happen. Stop listening to the whispers of the enemy. Replace his whispers with the word of God. A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it ain't going to come near me. It, it begins to say, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. God's shadow is more powerful than the enemy's whole entire arsenal. Take refuge in, in knowing that we're not afraid of the fear that we hear. We're not going to be afraid of what we see. And we're not going to be afraid of that dragon, that figment of our imagination. I, was heard, I heard that it was said, if you deal with him in Genesis when he's a serpent, he won't turn to a dragon in Revelation. You got to deal with him while he's a serpent. You got to tread upon him while he's a serpent. That way you won't let it grow and fester on the inside of you. The attendants are coming. You won't allow it to fester on the inside of you. Have the faith of the Lord. Who's on the Lord's side? We are. We're on his side. We take his words. We're under his canopy of protection. We're on assignment. So guess what? He got our back. He have our back. As a matter of fact, he died for us on that old rugged cross called Calvary, a place of the skull, crucified in a place of the skull. Meaning that he died for our sins. The, the, the parent to all fear is the fear of dying. He's conquered that fear. He's conquered it. And we can take refuge that because he conquered that fear, he got our back. He's protecting us. He's keeping us under the canopy of his protection. Amen? Amen. We're standing up all over the building. Those of us who have not received him as, a, as the personal Lord and Savior today, make a change. Make a change today. Make a change today. For God, I stand. It's better on this side. I don't want to be tormented by fear anymore. I don't want to be given to sudden fear because of what I hear. The world is getting dark, and I'm not trying to scare you into salvation. I'm just telling you that he is the better way. I've tried it my way before. I've tried it that way. And let me tell you, I didn't mess some stuff up. <laughs> I probably still mess some stuff up, but I know I got him to lead me and guide me and instruct me and keep me. Amen. Jesus died for us. And what we're going to do today is take Holy Communion. This is us remembering what he's done for us. He died on that cross. He shed his blood, innocent blood. For us, 
when we were enemies against him, he said, I love them, and I'm going to give myself for him. Amen? Amen? So if you would, exit to your left and go back in on the right side of your, uh, your aisles there, and we're going to take the sacraments together. Amen?